This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the pot smoking show. Uh, <laughs> you <We're> went just... <laughs> there. <laughs> Billy's favorite topic. You have no idea. Dealing with Billy over this last week has been like dealing with a child. I mean, even more so, I should say, right? Because, Probably because, because I have no fill. I I actually <laughs> lose complete control over the issue of marijuana legalization. I can't even say it. Marijuana legalization. I lose complete. My faculties are are all to completely disabled. <laughs> okay, and so all week long. Well, even last week, Glenn's been teasing. We're gonna have this pot show. You know the 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 Glenn on drugs, Glenn Beck on drugs uh, debate. And so he had Jacob Solom from Reason, and he had uh, Robert uh, White who wrote the book. Uh, the anti-pot book with uh, with Bill Bennett on on Thursday. And it's a three-hour radio show about pot and whether it should be legal or not, like a big big debate going on. And, and of course, Billy was incensed that anybody would even bring that up. So what we're going to do here, Billy, is we're going to... I have two stories here that I just want to jump into. One, I'm going to let you pick, though. Right here, live, as we record, you get to pick what it is we're going to talk about first. Well, obviously we've, oh yeah, thank you for the choice. We've no, launched no, no. with marijuana. No, so no, no, I'm think... just, I'm just talking. I was, I wanted to. No, called, no, no let's talk called, about this it. Called, let's talk this about it. This is what it. we call programming and introducing and trying to get into the, rather than just opening our microphones and saying, no, well, no, ladies and gentlemen, me, we're going to start enraged. with this you story. No, enraged. we got, what? You want me enraged. You want America to hate me. So let's just go right well, in. Let's just, but let's but they might already, but I wanted, but see, here's the other thing. Here's the other angle I was going to give, but you jumped in. I'm trying to be a quote professional broadcaster, which I'm not, but I'm trying, right? So it's, I was going to follow it with, or we can, so here's the two stories. We can get into the Glenn Beck debate about drug legalization and where Glenn Beck now falls. Or we can get into something that I get passionately upset about, and that is Gretchen Carlson. So, <laughs> two issues it really issues, impacting America, marijuana and Gretchen Carlson. So, both of us get incensed about different topics, right? You get incensed about things that matter, and I don't. So, do you want to get into a discussion? You wrote a couple pieces this week, one, several pieces this week, and one of them was about... Gretchen Carlson and the little spat with Mediaite. Do you want to get into this Gretchen Carlson thing or do you want to get into the drug? No, I want to talk about drugs. I want to talk about drugs. Of course you do. So because I don't have that one pulled up because before the show, every ladies, listen, boys and girls, before the show, Billy said, let's start off with the Gretchen Carlson story. So so now what are we going to start? I've actually changed my mind. And that's fine because I did tell you, you get to pick online, but I thought we had already decided what your pick was going to be. No, I actually, that's okay. That's okay. And I want to, I want to control myself and have a controlled discussion. Um, I already feel myself losing my mind about this. So I'm, (laughs) I'm internally controlling myself to talk about drugs, which, you know, I, I, is a topic I've been talking about for a long time, for a long time. Well, before I was at the blaze, I, I would talk about this. So now, did you listen? Did you uh, listen to or read Glenn's conclusion from his debate? I, re- I read it. Yes. Now, I what was? I read it. What was your feeling on it? 
when you got to the end? Uh, well, I mean, there's some valid points. And I guess I don't want to get into critiquing Glenn too much on this. Um, but there's some valid points. And there are things, you know, what he said, he said, quote, I would open it up to all drugs potentially being legalized. Let the people decide. The closer to the people, the better. And you'll be surprised how responsible they are. Um, yeah, that I didn't agree with. Why? I don't really know that the people are always responsible on these things. So you think that because you don't think people are responsible, they shouldn't have the choice? You're anti, no, I think you're people have the choice. Listen, people have the freedom and the choice to do drugs. They can violate the law to do it if they choose. Um, I don't think that we should necessarily be in the business of, because let's face it, the way this is always sold is if we legalize this, it's going to bring in so much money and we end up sort of saying, okay, well, here, we're going to put it out there. Yeah. We're going to let people sell it. And it's all about the tax revenue. So we then start to trade in you know, what we think to be sort of moral truths as a society, we trade them in to bring money in because we can't balance our budgets any other way. Right. So, I mean, you know, that that's one of the issues I have. I don't I don't think people are irresponsible. So let me let me walk that back a little bit. I think, you know, people are responsible. But I do think, you know, that when it comes to things like drugs and prostitution, we have laws in the books for certain reasons. So I don't know that we all of a sudden need to say, oh, well, you know, the states have the states can decide. I mean, I'm looking at New Jersey practically right now, and I'm very close to Pennsylvania, and I'm in New York. Right. I think, you know, when it comes to drugs, it's a little more complicated than just saying let the states decide. So, so your your view is keep the federal. Well, let's take the little poll because they put out a little poll here on Glenbeck.com. They put a poll: what should be the legal status of marijuana? And there are six options. Okay, so let's go over this, and then you you tell me what you pick. I already know how I'm going to vote, and I want to see how you vote. Okay. Marijuana never legal, medical marijuana legal, decriminalize small amounts or grow your own marijuana, state option to legalize or strong federal regulation and taxation on marijuana, leave it to the states, or marijuana always legal in any amount nationwide? Uh, medical only. Medical marijuana legal. So that, yeah, that's where your vote is. So America, medical marijuana legal... Uh, came in with 13%. So it's like in one, two, three, fourth place, third, fourth place. So the top one is marijuana, always legal in any amount nationwide, came with 27%. Leave it to the states at 25%. 16% was marijuana, never legal. 13% uh, medical marijuana legal. 12% uh, decriminalize small amounts, grow your own marijuana. And 7% state option to legalize slash strong federal regulation and taxation on marijuana. Interesting. So you're you're you came in fourth. Your viewpoint came in fourth with thirteen percent of the of the people. I found that interesting. Glenn's thing was leave it to the states. Um let the states decide. So I don't he didn't go all the way to miracle marijuana always legal in any amount nationwide. He says let the states, you know, pick their own uh yeah, the, the problem the is the states border one another and you have a substance that's then being brought between different states and you've got somebody who can then just go right across the border to get it. You know, I mean, in fact, on this show, you were saying that that would be a bad thing for gay marriage. You know, it, if yeah. you were to right, So this is yeah. the same exact thing. Yeah. Then. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and interestingly, I had the other I had, an, you know, admittedly, I had the opposite stance on it, you know, that, that that would be a middle ground to say, oh, well, you know, gay marriage, if you if you have a state where gay marriage is not legal, you can you can choose to not let it be legal, but you have to recognize gay marriage in other states. This is a sort of similar thing, but you're dealing with an actual substance that's being brought across borders. So it's almost, so, you know, to me, what's the point? So I have a question and they, they just discussed the medical marijuana thing on the show. 
why do you why do you support the mar- medical marijuana legalized thing but not not medical not marijuana never legal well i mean there's a huge difference between using marijuana and i'm not a marijuana expert i just have very strong views on it but there's a huge difference between using it for medical medicinal reasons yeah. and using it for recreation right. um and so you know it's it's two totally different things now if I, if I told you that medical mar- the, the the things in marijuana in, in quote medical marijuana could be extracted and and used yeah. without smoking the pot and the and getting the high, would THC you, pills, right? So would you support then? You know what, mar- marijuana never legal because you can get the same effects from the pills created from marijuana or synthetics. Well, I would have to look at what studies show and what doctors say. You know, I've seen different things. And that's the problem with this issue. It's one of those things where people have agendas and there's different ways of looking at. But if a doctor says that a cancer patient who's in their end stages is going to benefit more from smoking it than taking the pill. Well, then, yeah, that's a different story. But I don't know. I'd have to see that. Medical marijuana also includes. See, this is why, like, I'm I'm really. here's, Here's how stupid I am. Okay. I couldn't decide when I was picking. Do I pick? medical or excuse me marijuana never legal or leave it to the states and then hope that every state bans it i mean that's kind of where i lean is like leave it to the states and then hope that all 50 states ban it completely that's kind of where i would be but medical marijuana legal one of the things that uh, i think it was robert white brought up yesterday was the medical marijuana stuff they're allowing people to get it for quote pain okay so i go on the doctor doctor says i've got pain when they when they allowed it under you, they saw an increase of a couple thousand people getting medical marijuana to hundreds of thousands of people getting medical marijuana when they relaxed the standards for it. So it's essentially it's recreational use, but they've got the doctor's prescription. So the doctor says that's okay. You know? Well, it's a, it's another barrier still, but yeah, I mean, that's another problem with it too. So it's, what, still, it's still a barrier. You still have to do something to get it, you know, whereas recreation is just, it's just, just going to be available. My issue is that we're sitting here talking about this. We live in a society where, and, and the alcohol argument makes me crazy because it's yeah. like every person will say, well, you oppose legalization, which I do. You oppose legalization. Well, we have alcohol and it's far worse and it causes right. way more problems. And I'm like, I'm not disputing any of that, but right. we already have enough problems. And right. now you're Why talking you about add adding one? a new problem yeah. in. Well, and, and I, so I, here's my question then. How do you counter the argument from someone like a Jacob Solom who, who says, Maybe maybe drugs are or are not good for society or whatever, but my rule is, my rule for liberty is, if all it does is harm me and doesn't actually inflict pain or harm on someone else personally and directly, what business is it of yours? Was he talking about only marijuana or was he talking about other drugs? He's talking about all drugs. I mean, Solem, well, I would argue that Solem, that's a faulty Solem, argument. Solem, I mean, Solem would say that all things should be legal. All things but should be legal. But, like you should but be able to go buy them. Inaccurate. Right. His but statement's like, inaccurate. Like his argument would be, we should be able to go buy antibiotics at the pharmacy without a doctor's note. I should be able to just go buy it at the pharmacy. Or well, the, but the his statement store. about drugs is inaccurate. Talk to any addict's family. Talk to any other. Ad- drugs do far more than only harm the person who's doing them. Now, marijuana, people will make the argument it really only gets people high. Listen, marijuana is a much more benign drug than many of the other sure. ones. It doesn't mean that it doesn't come without its problems, though. But I think to say, and I've heard this argument, that drugs only harm the person is not a smart. Smart people say it. It's not a smart statement because you have to look at what drugs do to people and families. Right. And so, but so here's so here's another. Let me again. I believe the devil devil has enough advocates, but let me play devil's advocate on this do it okay so say i am a single guy i have my my folks died years ago 
I have no siblings. I have no spouse. I have no girlfriend. I have no kids. I just have some friends that are work friends, right? And I like to go get high. What, what do you tell that person? He, what's he doing wrong? He well, hurt, I he's mean, hurting right himself. now he's violating the law unless you live right. in a few places. But he's hurting, he's hurting himself. If it were legal, what's the problem with that? If it were legal, well, I guess here's the difference, right? I think, you know, when I, when I think about alcohol, I know we've talked about your use of, your rampant use of alcohol in your right. life, um, <laughs> having never um, really got been my diet an coke alcohol here. user. There you go. Um, but I think, you know, you can drink alcohol without being drunk. You don't really smoke pot without wanting to be high. The whole right. premise of it is being high. Whereas I think a lot of people will have a glass of wine and they're clearly not drunk. There's, there's, there's a difference. There's a difference between the drugs People don't want to talk about that difference, but there is. Listen, I think if if the person that you described, and I think that that's a rare individual that yeah. has no real social connections to anybody, right. you know, listen, that it's a valid argument, but I do think that people, and you know, maybe this is ignorance. I'm just going to say it. I think that that there is a higher proportion when you have more people doing a drug like marijuana, if you legalize it, and consumption will go up. You have a higher proportion that that will be a gateway for more people, yeah. right? That that will be a yeah. problem for more people, that there will be greater social cost in some way because more people are doing it. Right. So that's sort of the perspective that I look at this from. But I do understand the individual arguments. Yeah, I do. And, and listen, I am, I am sympathetic to all of the libertarian arguments about legalizing drugs. I, I get it. I am very I'm not. I'm, but I'm very sympathetic to the personal liberty argument. That's I'm not. I think it's insane. I, th I think the drug argument is insane. Not, maybe no, not marijuana. Maybe no, not marijuana, but the, but the drug argument is crazy town. Okay, it's crazy but, town. Okay, but and and that I I can uh, find some agreement with you on. I when I when I say <laughs> when I find when I say I find myself sympathetic, I find myself sympathetic to the underlying principles behind the le drug legalization argument, not the actual drug legalization argument, but the personal liberty, less government, less police action, less making every American a criminal argument. That's that's where I find myself somewhat sympathetic to the but so true. Here, here's where I mean go ahead. I shouldn't say crazy town. You see I went a little crazy there. I That's okay. I, well I do I think that legalizing drugs is crazy. I do. I think outside of even outside of marijuana, legalizing drugs is crazy. But if you were to take that libertarian viewpoint to the extreme, everything would be legal. Yeah. Nothing would be illegal and there would be no rule of law at all. So and I know that most libertarians are not arguing that. I get that. I understand it. I just I do think that sometimes this whole, you know, personal liberty thing, it, it sometimes erodes the grander and I'm going to sound like a progressive here, but the grander sort of good of the society that I do think the government does play somewhat of a role in that. And, and as much as some conservatives don't want that to be, it, it is the truth. And we don't mind when the government wants to have a national day of prayer or when the government wants to have some other, you know, nationwide thing yeah. that we like. I agree. So, so the, all of a sudden we don't like it when it comes to drugs. Right. And and here's the here's the thing that, you know, maybe many of you, you know, boys and girls out there would be surprised by is that it, Billy and I actually are very close in agreement on this we are. on this topic. It's just that I think Billy is Billy's reaction is against against it. And I get that. I get my reaction is you know what? I'm conflicted because I understand the personal liberty arguments, not the pro-drug argument, but I understand the personal liberty argument. And Billy understands the argument too. This is that I'm so sympathetic to it that I find myself feeling bad for being conflicted on it. So, 
But here's where I the the and you've heard me say this before, the pro pot pro legalization crowd loses me, or at least drives me crazy. And it's two arguments that they make or ignore. One is, regardless of your position on the debate, the debate should be filled with facts. And so I find myself getting frustrated with the pro pop people who either ignore or lie about the actual effects of marijuana and what marijuana does. It, that drives me insane. Marijuana isn't healthy for you. It does hurt people. And it is a gateway drug to a whole lot of other things. And it is addictive. So, but, and, and Jacob Solom yesterday said, it's not the substance that the, that's addictive. It's the behavior. Well, tell that. Not a, that's not that, necessarily tell that, true, tell though. That, there are tell people that to people saying who, that the substance is Right. Too. Tell that to people who smoke, uh, smoke cigarettes. Tobacco is addictive. Now, for some people, it's more addictive than other. Others, their, their body chemistry. The same thing with alcohol. In alcohol and alcoholics. There are some people who can drink all their life and never be an alcoholic. There are other people, one drink, and it sets them off as you know on on a road to alcoholism but don't and don't say it's not a gateway drug as as you've heard me say dealing with drug addicts and and homeless people and people in the street for years i have found that to a person they can all say um pot is where i started on this road all of them they can and all you say know that. and my wife who doesn't listen to our show you know she'll argue the same she, thing about alcohol pot, she'll say well then by that standard you've got to get rid of alcohol and because we don't agree on this issue right. at all my wife and i um and you know or she's more sympathetic i shouldn't say we don't agree but she's more sympathetic to to the other side does she and have a I bowl think, of it up on her fridge <laughs> what I'm sitting up on top of the fridge she's got a you know a bowl up there <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> no, you know, but I think I think, yes, alcohol is a gateway for people, too. But if you keep going back to the alcohol debate, you're not acknowledging that we're in, in we're welcoming something new in, right. which means there's an entire entirely new dynamic. And I, I'm tired of that tired old argument about alcohol. Yeah. I get it. It's not great. Alcohol causes lots of problems. Why are we adding to the problem? Right. The other the other thing that drives me nuts and again, maybe it's just me being inconsistent or me being dumb, which is also just as likely. And that is, they say, they'll make the argument, like I posed the devil's advocate argument to you, that if what if I'm doing doesn't impact anybody else? And I think, and you brought it up, what about the societal impact? The impact that it has on society, maybe not particular individuals' freedoms, but what about society as a whole? And I think that's where we have a whole bunch of debates about a whole bunch of things, is that how is it going to impact society? What's it going to do to children? What's it going to do to, you know, civilized society, to criminal behavior and that sort of thing, people who are on these kinds of drugs? I think another societal impact that isn't, isn't discussed, if you're going to make everything legal and everybody is essentially then self-prescribing, and I have to go, I currently have to go, and it drives me crazy, but at least once a year, if not twice a year, I'll get like a sinus infection or a bronchial infection or something. I have to go to the doctor, spend money at the doctor to get, um, antibiotics. Now, if every time I started to feel sick, I was able to just go to the store and just buy antibiotics. And every time I got a cold and every time everybody got a cold or some sort of thing and everybody went and just bought antibiotics because they think that's what's going to cure them. And everybody's taken antibiotics several times a year. Suddenly we have a whole bunch of antibiotic resistant strains of disease. And I think that's a societal impact. I think we have to consider that sort of thing too. 
But we, and we also we have an entire population of people who are then numbing themselves continuously. And that's no di- I mean, if you were to say we're going to have an entire society of people who are continuously drunk, and I know that people who are drunk cause more accidents and all that than people who are high. But if we were going to say that, you know, we were going to ask people, is that a good thing? They would say no. So why are we acting like having more people high is a good thing? Listen, I'm not saying people shouldn't smoke. If they want to smoke, they should smoke. I'm just saying that I have no problem with them being in violation of the law if they choose to do it. And I'm not, and I'm also, not, I mean, one thing that I think is important to clarify about this, you shouldn't go to jail for longer than a rapist if you were caught, you know, with weed. I think that that is ridiculous. And yeah. to me, there are ways to find a middle ground and how you treat it under the law. Yeah. I think that that's fine and I understand that. So I think that's, that's addressing one of the big arguments for why it should be decriminalized. Sure. But, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think we have a lot of issues in this society and we continuously want to numb ourselves. And so this to me is another sign that we're actually not moving in the right direction on right. it. And, and Aldous Huxley in his book, Brave New World, warned against this kind of behavior. If you read about the Soma stuff that they did, the pills that they would take that was the Soma, it's the same thing. He warns against, don't be a drug-addled society that just kind of, eh, whatever. I mean, is that really the society you want? Now, part of that is inherent upon us to teach people, or incumbent upon us to teach people, don't act this way. Don't take these drugs. And even if it's totally illegal, it's the same thing we deal with. Again, go back to the alcohol argument. It's the same thing we deal with kids and alcohol, is that I need to also, instead of simply advocating for it to be hard to get, or or illegal, or whatever. I need to also be teaching kids and people in general responsible behavior when it comes to these substances. But what? But what kind of barrier are, are we putting up when we say that you know it's already hard enough for parents to raise their kids, and now we're going to say as a society this drug is now okay? Yeah. So we we are now greenlighting another drug and making it even more difficult for parents. But you know what? It's on the parents because that's what these people always say. Well, it's up to the parents. They're the ones who have to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. I get that. But parents are living in a really difficult world of yeah. trying to actually help their children grow when they're not even with their kids for 90 percent of the day because they're working and they're trying to provide for them. So right. it's not I just I think it's a slippery slope. I really do. I, I, I that's at the end of the day. That's what I conclude. I get the freedom stuff. I'm sure people who are listening to this probably are, are not on my side on it, but I just I'm very uncomfortable with it. Right. Send send your emails to pothead at billyhallowell.com. oh i love it well and you know i've never smoked pot a day in my life so of course people will tell me that disqualifies me right but that's but you know there's the societal impact is something that we argue all the time and i mean we do the same thing i think i mentioned with with gay marriage we we argue there's a societal impact when we talk about marriage right that there's a there's something to be said for marriage and the place for kids and place for families that this is how marriage and family is supposed to look. Well, why should it look that way? Because that's the way we do it. That's the that's that's good moral human behavior. Well, whose morals are you using? Well, it happens to be a Judeo-Christian ethic upon which this country was founded. You don't like it. I'm sorry, but that's the way that we were set up. Understand somebody's somebody's religious worldview is going to run things. Whether it's an atheistic right. agnostic worldview or a Jewish or a Hindu, or a Muslim, or a Christian worldview, somebody's worldview is going to run things, and I'm going to tell you that if people live in a Christian worldview, and I don't mean quote Christian, I mean actual Christian, I'm not talking Crusades Christian, I'm not talking, you know, they like to say Hitler was a Christian, I'm not talking people who call themselves Christian, but I'm I'm talking about actual Christian worldview with an ethic that Jesus taught, 
you're going to have a better society. Right. I'm not, and I'm not pushing for a theocracy, but I'm telling you, there is going to be a wor religious worldview that runs things. And I would just assume it was mine that actually loves people and teaches the things that Jesus taught and isn't hypocritical than to have it be something else. Listen, I think I, I agree. And I think at the end of the day, we are really looking at, you know, as, this is just another element to me that numbs people more to the realities of life. And I think that that is what we've seen more and more and more of over the years. And I think it's it's problematic. It's a little bit scary to me. And I think, you know, I, I don't care if people are for legalization. I, I think that when you look at Glenn's stance, it's very well thought out. I don't agree with with parts of it. I don't think it should be up to the states, but that's my perspective. But I think when people say they see no problem with the drug at all, they have no issue with it, that's when I become concerned because right. you know there are issues, as we've outlined on this show with this, and I, and I would hope that people on all sides would look. And I know I come off very militant on this. I do understand the other side of it. I just I just can't get there, and yeah. I don't think my views will change on it. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been pretty staunch on this for a long time. Yeah. So um, let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk about your good friend Gretchen Carlson and the hot water she got into this week that was either, you argue, was not of her own making, and I argue, well, maybe in part it was her own making. But Well, you're wrong again. Oh, of course, I'm always wrong. Just ask my wife. I'm always wrong. It's a good thing she doesn't listen to this show because then she'd have a whole list of other things that I'm wrong about. But she doesn't, so we will be right back. And, of course, the idiot didn't uh, turn up the iPad, so we'll go ahead and start that again. We will be right back. Back to the church boys. Well, Gretchen Carlson got herself in a little bit of hot water today, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to introduce something to you guys, and it's an interview that we did, and actually, usually we do interviews for like 20 minutes. This interview with actor Christopher Polaha went on for like 40 minutes, and we would have gone on for another two hours probably because he was so great. Um, he's in a new movie called Where Hope Grows, excellent film, but he's also, I mean, he's been on like every single show, and I was laughing because I was telling Chris, uh, I was watching Stalker the other night, and of course, it was the day we did the interview with him, and there he is in Stalker. It's like, <laughs> where's Waldo with this guy? Um, but but he's great, and he's a Christian, and he talks about his faith, and so we're going to get into that interview, but before we do, uh, Chris's favorite news anchor, his favorite news host, got herself in a little bit of trouble. Isn't Gretchen. she related to you? Well, I told Chris that she was my aunt. <laughs> Um, because I, I don't know, I just want to play a prank on him and this went on and on. He, and he like wouldn't accept it. He's like, she's not your aunt. And then I felt like I almost had him believing it. And then I just well, gave up. Finally, by the end of the conversation, I'll, I will admit this. You kind of had me believing it. It wasn't like you felt like you kind of maybe did. It's like you kind of, I actually kind of was like, you know what? Fine. Maybe he's related. Fine. I still am going to say what I think. <laughs> in our private conversations, not. Oh yeah, no. I mean, even, if she was my aunt, I would have been so oh. offended that it, we would have been done. But, um, but anyway, did, I, did you so, see? Not really. I mean, well, I, can I, I can handle you trashing my family. You told and you told me to, you know, ask Rivette about it. Ask Rivette, and I never did. But then this morning, she said, "So Gretchen Carlson, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kept telling her, "You better tell him." And she's like, "I'll tell him if he asks." Like she was so annoyed. Like, stop telling me to tell this lie. Right. Um. Anyway, but Gretchen Carlson got into this back and forth, this argument with Mediaite after a segment on her show this week. And basically, 
the segment was about what was found in Bin Laden's lair, in Bin Laden's creepy <laughs> welcome, lair. Welcome um, to my underground lair. His underground lair. Uh, but <laughs> she specifically talked about the job application that the Al Qaeda, um, you know, would would give out to to find terrorists to recruit. And she was talking about it, and she got to the end of it, and she and this is the quote. I'm going to read it. She said, "Well, I've got it here. If you want me to play it, why don't you play it?" Okay. So this is the this is the full minute because she does her little my take thing. And this is the minute, and this is how she concludes. And I think it's important to play. I mean, we would, I would play just the last 10 seconds, but then I think we we kind of succumb to Mediaite's argument where we just have clipped it. So this is the full minute so that you get the whole context of what it is she's what what it is she is saying, okay? So here we go. Let's see. Here we go, Gretchen, right now. We continue to sift through the 103 documents released today from his compound. It's fascinating to see how the Al-Qaeda leader was living his life in the Pakistani compound, what he was reading, what he was watching, even his relationships with his wives and his children. Sorry. Do you ever feel like you're just being lectured when you listen to her? Sorry. I, you know, I don't have the same issues I know, that you I, have You know what? Her. But it goes back to, I was a big fan of... Um, What's the one with Ducey and Kilmeade? And it's got the uh, other Fox board. and Friends. Fox and Friends. When I lived on the East Coast, I used to watch it every morning because I was up, you know, godforsaken hours. But now on the West Coast, it's over at six o'clock my time. And that's like what I'm getting to work is at six. I'm up at, you know, five and get to work at six. It's like I don't even have time to watch it anymore. So, but when they, when they put her on, well, whatever. Quit your bellowing. And I'll, play I'll, her. I'll use, I'll use a term that you, that you particularly enjoy. She's just a, a silly person. <laughs> that's an inside joke for Terrible. me. Terrible. That's an you know inside what? joke for me. Hear this. She's going to hear this and she's going to send you hate mail. <laughs> Bring it, Gretchen. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, here we go. Sorry. Back to the lecture. I mean, back to the, um, the thing. But one really weird thing stands out, too, with regard to the Al-Qaeda recruitment. Turns out the Al-Qaeda recruitment form looks a lot like any other job application, at least at the beginning. Questions like, List your previous occupations. Have you been in jail or prison? Does she sound like a Sunday school teacher to you? You're awful. Okay, sorry. Do you have any chronic or hereditary diseases? Well, then it gets more Al-Qaeda-ish. Have you ever joined the Afghanistan theater? Are any of your relatives in the Jihad theater? Do you wish to execute a suicide operation? Who should we contact if you become a martyr? The most sickening part, though, is the last line. Praise Allah. Lord of all worlds. Nope. Not really at all. So there's there's the dust up. Tell, now explain what the dust up was. Well, the dust up is that Mediaite publishes this this story um, and basically accuses her of saying that Allah is not God. That last line where she said, praise Allah, Lord of all worlds. Nope. Not really at all. You know, they, they took it as her suggesting that their God, meaning the Muslim God, is not the Christian God and that she was trying to differentiate between the two. Now, she responded to that piece. And I thought, you know, I didn't think that the headline was fair on that to say, you know, Allah is not God. She didn't say that. That wasn't what came out of her mouth. And I know we had a little, you and I had a little bit of a disagreement about this, but I thought that wasn't fair. But she responded to Mediaite and said, Mediaite got my take wrong. And this was on Twitter. I meant it was crazy Osama bin Laden praised Allah as if Allah was condoning his acts of terror. But Mediaite didn't back down. They went back and forth and they were like, we got your take exactly as you said it. And so anyway, they have this back and forth. And, you know, she she says she says back to the editor, Andrew Kirill, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. 
You wrote, of course, the Fox, the Fox host was suggesting that their God is not our God. Really? Never said that. Thanks. Which I agree with. She didn't say that. Right. Well, and so, but she also didn't say what she said she said. Right. She says, uh, media got my take wrong. I meant it was crazy. Obama is a crazy Osama bin Laden praised Allah as if Allah was condoning his acts of terror. Now, I don't know. I don't doubt that that's what she meant. And I don't doubt that media has their interpretation of what she meant, which are two very different things. But what she says she meant is not what she said. That may well be what she meant. Absolutely might be what she meant. The clip clip does not include that. Cut off. But the clip but this might is, have cut off. But I this don't is know. Fox this, News's clip. This is Fox. This isn't. This isn't uh, Mediaite's clip. This is Fox News's clip that they right, put out but, there. Right. But maybe they clipped it beforehand because nobody. I mean, I when I walked away from this, and they may not have. But the, and the reason I said it is the text version of this um, has another line after that where right. she says Fox there is no god that would ever condone any act of terror. So if she said that, it wasn't included in Fox's clip. But that may be because. Either either Fox added it in to the text, you know, which which, which is a little disingenuous, happened. or it was there and they clipped it out. But either way, I don't I don't walk away. I think if you're a media outlet called Mediaite and your job is to monitor the media and you're the editor in chief, that you ha- you could write a piece maybe saying this was curious, but to say flat out that she said that, I don't I wouldn't walk away with that assessment of it that strongly as a, as a media outlet right. like well, saying that. You know, and and first of all, if if Mediaite had Gretchen's take accurate, which Gretchen says they didn't, and I tend to believe Gretchen on this, that doesn't, the question that ought to also be asked is, is that an accurate Christian stance? And I think that for them to be upset that, that Gretchen, a professed Christian, would say something that, that Christianity would agree with, mainstream Christianity theologically would agree with, I, I don't understand what their upsetness. Just be mad at all of Christendom then, because that would be theologically, uh, that would that would jive theologically with Christianity. But that's not what she meant. So, but I think that where we ha- where it becomes a real story is that they interpreted it this way because the the story didn't the the clip did not have that extra line in it. It had it out of context. Gretchen clarifies what she says she meant, and again, I believe her. So then why then, wouldn't you fix then, it at that point? Well, but what are they supposed to fix? They have a transcription of what she said, an accurate transcript, a now accurate transcription of what she said, and they have the actual video clip that Fox News put out. Fox News is the one that is inconsistent. Their clip doesn't match with their transcript. But the headline on Mediaite is not accurate, and the headline is sometimes all that people are going to read. No, the, the, yeah, he- the headline states <clears throat> it as a fact. Fox is Gretchen Carlson, colon, Allah is not God. That's not she what she not said. She did Allah not say Allah is say not that. God. She's, she did not. I, See, I didn't walk away from thinking that. But I don't think that it's an unfair— If you are Mediaite and people who are not familiar with actual Christian theology and doctrine and the way that we talk about Christianity in a, in a loving way— and if you're not familiar with Gretchen Carlson, it's easy to have your interpretation of her last line, the most sickening part of the last nine. Praise Allah, Lord of all worlds. Nope, not really at all. It would be a very, I think, fair and easy assumption for a mediaite to say this is what she meant. In fact, if, um, I, if, no, if I didn't know better and didn't know your story and all I saw was what Gretchen said, there would be a, there would be a part of me that says, is she saying this or is she saying that i think that i think that no. both explanations of what she meant her explanation of what she meant and mediaite's interpretation of what she meant or what she said 
both of them are 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 ideas that would enter into my consciousness. I but see, I don't I don't agree with that. But I understand that we have different consciousnesses. The, they also said that she said she claimed that she found it sickening that Osama bin Laden offered praise to Allah. That could be more accurate. But but it just it's odd to me. It's just odd to me that they would go so hard on this. Um, the way the way that they have, I don't know. I just, well, like, uh, I, like, I just, I think that it's a little bit odd. But they like to pick fights with Fox and especially with Gretchen and people who call themselves Christians, and people who call themselves. And part of this though goes is is on Gretchen. She wasn't clear on what she meant. Now afterwards, she clarified it, but that's listen. That's on her. That's her mistake, and it's Fox's mistake for having a clip. But you're assuming that Fox did that. The other line wasn't there, and we don't know that for sure. I mean, unless we go back to the to the videotape of the whole live feed, right? We can't know, right? But, but Fox, Fox is listen. She said it in an, a possibly inartful way. Now, if she said the whole thing, then it's on Fox, her employer, and for her to say to her employer, put up the full video clip. So that it matches yeah, but, with the transcription uh, you says goes with what I said. But, but they if, made it about her being a Christian, too. And I think that that when I read that in the piece, I was like, you know, it's almost like, well, she's a Christian. She's a Christian. and She works for Fox. And that was her point in the tweet. So clearly she's, you know, slamming Islam. I mean, that that is kind of how it came across to me. But I don't know. I'm not judging it. Maybe Andrew, but, I don't know. But if, I don't know. But if, what you heard, the but I, if I had heard it live and she ended with. The most sickening part is this last line. This is what this is, and this is in quotes. This is the this is the thing that she said was most sickening. Praise Allah, Lord of all worlds. She said that's the most sickening part. Well, but that's sick. But but Chris, that is sickening because of exactly what she said before it. They're isolating this line you, out. What she said before it was that I, this job application asked about whether or not they would be on a suicide mission and all of that, whether who do they contact if they want to become a martyr. Then she said the sickening part is the last line. Praise Allah, Lord of all wor worlds. Nope, not really. Yeah, she's saying there's no way you're praising Allah when you're talking about being a martyr. She's connecting the two. That, that that's what I thought was missing here. I mean, I don't think I don't. I just don't see how an objective observer sees that and then says, "Oh no, she's she's actually talking about Allah." She she's talking about people who would say they believe in God. I don't know, but you know, we yeah. have different. My consciousness actually probably isn't as wide and smart as yours, so no, that could be the problem. That would be scary because mine's about the size of a the head of a pin. So, but listen. <laughs> I don't, I believe that I would have the same interpretation you did from what I, hearing her say those words. My final judgment on her would be, you know, I think she's saying, you can't say God thinks that all this stuff that you're doing is okay. And I agree with her. And I agree with, I, I, I believe her when she says, no, that's not what I meant. This is what I meant. And I think that, I, I think that Mediaite did the right thing at the end where they include, here's her tweets, but then they continue to justify and I think that there's, but real the real story is, if you're Fox News and you and you need to defend your anchor, you need to have a transcript and a video clip that match, and they don't, and that's a problem. You're a problem. Well, that's true. So you know what? I've gone long. I so. don't disagree with you on that. If they don't match, that is problematic. It's better to just say it's not what I meant. Why add the line in? I know we went longer on this than I wanted to because I really wanted to get into the um, the Duggars, and maybe and maybe right after this, we're gonna play that. We got the the interview with Christopher Palafafaloth. What's his name? Christopher Palafa. 
How do Balaha. I? I always get his name wrong. You and I had this discussion off. I cannot forget his last name right. Christopher what? Pola. Polaha. Polaha. I can't. And then earlier I want to say, kept saying Pohala, and then you're like, it's Polaha, you idiot. Christopher Polaha. And Chris, if you're listening, sorry about the mispronunciations. Uh, as a, as you became well aware during our interview, I'm not a smart person. So we're going to get into that interview right after this break, and then and then we'll close up with maybe a discussion of the Duggars. Who knows? Uh, we will be right back. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my so we've got our interview with Chris Palaha that I mentioned before. Great, 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 great actor. Really interesting guy. Very strong Christian, which is rare in Hollywood. And so I'm not going to continue rambling about how great he is. Chris uh, totally has a man crush on him. <laughs> I was just going to say, but, you going to uh, talk about my man crush? <laughs> but let's just let's just jump right in. You guys are going to love him. Here's Chris Palaha. It's Billy Hollowell. I'm here with the Church Boys, and we've got a special guest today. It's actor Christopher Polaha. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, gentlemen. How are you guys? We're good. Yeah, we're great, actually. You know, we're 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 pretty impressed with ourselves that we got a you know a Hollywood celebrity on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's when you find out how easy that is, I think you might be a little less impressed. But I'm I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we did we did have Mark and Roma on not not too long ago. Mark and Roma died out, and that was really interesting. Their accents are like enchanting yeah, as but, you listen to them. But talk. Chris, I we in and in, in the in the pre-show, people should know that Chris was calling them schlubs and stuff. That I don't know why he would say those things about Mark and Roma. <laughs> he was not. He I was know not. he wasn't. He's a good sport. Um, <laughs> Where, where is he? Is he English? Does he have a British accent? That's what he yeah. claims. He's actually from Jersey. <laughs> it's affected, right? It, it, right. It's not a real one. It's just a. Well, she's Irish, right? So you've got like both accents. It's really interesting. She's Irish. She's English. But um. But oh, anyway, okay. I'm sure they, I'm sure they never fight. Enough about those guys. That's let's right. talk about. Let's talk about us. There you go. <laughs> Let, let's talk about where hope grows, right? And okay. and I mean, you've been. I'm sure you are like. I know when a movie comes out, you do a million interviews in like a, a two day period, and I'm sure you've been. I know you've been all over the place, and and I talked to you for a piece that will make make sure we link out to um and that goes really in depth on the film but you know what are you yeah which was a great piece which i appreciate it. i tweeted it out and retweeted it and all that jazz it was good well i appreciate that and you know i think i just think it's a great it's a really great film has a great message and i guess my my first question based on what you're hearing because you've interacted with a lot of fans i've seen a lot of of things that people are saying on social about it but what are you hearing from the fans about the film how are they reacting to it um, I mean, the stuff that I'm getting, it's kind of twofold. It's personal. The, the people who know me in, in my, you know, my personal life have all been sort of extremely, you know, complimentary on sort of where, I, where, where I've gone as an actor. I think it's the first time they've actually seen me do something that harkens back to my roots, which were Eugene O'Neill, um, and just kind of heavy-hitting theater. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of television, and it's a lot lighter fare. So this one, you see Calvin Campbell, and he goes to a relatively dark place, and um, and it gave me a chance as an actor to stretch to stretch out a little bit. Um, and so it's been it's been nicely received by people in my life, like personal stuff. And then I think just as far as fans and uh, you know just people on the street who've seen it, and the only sort of inter- you know exchange I have with them is. Um, over Twitter and you know Facebook and that, and people have been really, 
really receptive to the film. I mean, it's gotten a lot of a lot of love, which is cool. It's nice to be a part of something that is, um, I don't know, that's just bringing some good stuff into the world versus you know more of the same. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And and the thing about your career that's really pretty cool is that you've been in almost everything ever made. Like I feel like you're looking... <laughs> literally, literally, <laughs> literally. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and and it's. I have to say before we continue that the show that you were in, the, Ring, the Ringer, which I love. I love the Ringer. I thought it was great. I was so annoyed when that was, when that was canceled. My my wife was a huge fan, and we and we would watch it. Um, but I mean, you, you've been in a but, wider. Hey, way I need to. But show. I need to jump in. I need to, before you get too flattered, Chris. Billy's also a yeah. big fan of the of the uh, Real Housewives series. <laughs> the Housewives, of, yeah, it, 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 it's it's really not a marking on good taste. It's just that he likes everything. That's right. It's actually, that's insult. right. It's actually you've you've been insulted because I, I like um, your work. Yeah, <laughs> Billy likes you. It's actually not good. It's like, there you go. Here, um, I'll tell you something. A friend of mine, uh, Sherry Appleby, we did. Um, we did Life Unexpected together. This is just to answer the fact that I'm I'm in everything. I literally, we were finishing Backstrom uh, up in Vancouver, and her show, is, it's uh, called Unreal. It's going to be on Lifetime, I guess, starting June. A little plug for her. Although I shouldn't, because I got no plug from Where Hope Grows, Sherry Appleby. Thank you very much. Um, I'm just kidding. But, um, uh, but I literally uh, walked. She said, we're filming our finale why don't you come on set? And I was like, okay. And I got there and she's like, do you want to be in the scene? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I'm literally like a background <laughs> guy in the background. You'll see me like right between her, her and her co-star's head. Um, just to prove the point that I am in fact in, and everything. It's like, where's Waldo? Everything you where's watch Waldo? on TV, you have to try to find Chris. Well, you know, it's fun. I actually had this idea years ago where how fun would it be to like dress up in, in disguise and do game shows? You know, and just like literally be like on Jeopardy and be like, was that Chris Palaha on Jeopardy? No, he is like, you know, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> Had a Mark Burnett accent. He's speaking like an Englishman. He's the Forrest Gump of Hollywood. He's in everything. He's everywhere. Yeah. I love that's the it. goal. That's the goal. What? Let me let me ask you a serious question about about where hope grows, because I think even talking with you and David and, and the other Chris um, about the project and doing the piece that we did. I, it just seemed like it really impacted everybody who was involved with it. And I, I had a chance to hear a little bit about that. But you know, in what ways would you say the role in the film impacted your faith? Because you, you're a Christian, which we talked a little bit about in our last interview. But how would you say the movie you know, impacted you in that way at all? Well, I mean, it's a great it's a great question. I think that we, we're all entertainers, right? You guys have a podcast and your job is to is to bring people on and to educate and to and there's jobs that are going to like inspire you and they're going to mark your life and they're going to define your career. And then they're just jobs that you're going to have that are steps to the next job and they're going to pay the bills for a little while. And where hope grows was certainly not a money gig because it was a super low budget. And it was just one of those films that was so edifying in so many ways, um, artistically to be able to go and work with David DeSanctis who'd never acted before and so to just get on the ground level with somebody and basically, you know, the, the whole thing about acting is, is know what you're saying, know why you're saying it, and then you breathe. And in the middle of breathing, you're listening and you're responding. It's a very simple thing, but it's amazing how complicated people make it and how convoluted it gets. And, you know, as you, as you work, you just meet people where it's like, 
like they're doing crazy stuff to stay in character or they're doing crazy stuff to get into character and you're like wow this is a lot of work for nothing guys like it's all water it's all gonna <laughs> it's gonna come and it's gonna go and people are gonna either see it or not and then it's gonna disappear like chill out and um so it was a real pleasure to work with david because it was just going back to basics and reminded me and reminded sort of everybody um what, what it's all about and then as a Christian, it was a cool project to work on because Chris Dowling is a Christian, uh, and it was rare to be able to go to a set where if you wanted to, you know, just say a little prayer before the day starts, you could. Um, and if you are a Christian, you know, your faith, if, if you're walking it, it's, it's integral. It's in everything. And it says, you know, in the, in the, in the word, you know, to pray, without, to pray without ceasing. And so everything should sort of be an act of worship. If your life is an act of worship and everything you do, including your job, including, you know, this interview is here to just, you know, glorify God. Um, and if you take that seriously and if you live in that, then, then, and you're allowed to freely, it becomes a really refreshing and rejuvenating experience. And that's sort of what I experienced with Where Hope Grows. And, um, you know, I, I, it became a very prayerful time for me and uh, uh, still fun. You know, we still, when I say that, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we were like monks. I mean, we still went out and we had, we had the Medley Brothers, which is some whiskey. And, you know, we were in Louisville, Kentucky. And I mean, so it was still a, a really great time, but it was, um, it was done, it was done, also on a whole other level of, of just, you know, for me, there was some fasting that took place, a spiritual kind of fasting. And, and, uh, and then ever since, which I think is a cool story. Um, and is a kind of a universal story, like, because you, you know, you, when you find fellowship with people, uh, like, you know, I'm like our church group, I've never been, you know, huge in, in, into my church, which is something that I probably should work on in my life. Um, we've always kind of sat back and listened and then we'll, we'll sneak out right after and we've got kids, my wife and I, and, you know, so it's never been one of those things where we do the picnics and we do the, um, so I don't have that, that fellowship that a lot of people have within church groups. Um, but Chris Dowling being a Christian, we would get on the phone and pray like once a week at first. And then it started to, we got busy and so it became, but it was consistently once a month at least. And we would just pray for the movie and we prayed for each other's careers. And it was always very like, it was always about the business, but it was still like the fact that you could come it'd be like, you know, me being able to call one of you guys and be like, dude, I'm having a hard time right now. I'm, you know, I'm not working. Can you, can we just pray for this movie? Can we pray for their job? <laughs> and have somebody be like, yeah, dude, well, I'll pray with you. It was kind of a cool thing. And so I feel like, I feel like in that sense, the film became kind of um, anointed in, in that it really didn't, it didn't, there was never a guarantee that it was going to get distribution. Um, there was never a guarantee that last week we were the top grossing limited release film, which means, you know, we had 276 theaters and of those, we, we were the fifth grossing movie of all the whole weekend. So we were making 17, um, I think what was it? 1700 bucks a theater per screening, which when you think about it, like, you know, the, the most you can make is 3000 a screen. Wow. So we were doing wow. like, you know, half business, which is, which is for a movie that's only in 250 cities across the country, like pretty great. Yeah. That's um, huge. And there, yeah, and there's this cool little movement. So in that, you know, um, it's funny, like Kathy Lee, I went on the Today Show last week and we talked about it and she said, after we spoke, she was like, that film sounds interesting. And then she went and saw it and she tweeted like, 
movie and you know and all of a sudden you know justin bieber's mom is is retweeting her tweets and mm. i've got a thousand bieber followers now <laughs> I mean, it's like that kind of <laughs> you know kind of like it's been that kind of synergy yeah. um which is which is cool and i hope that it keeps growing and that's you know um and that's the thing about these movies you know when you don't have a hundred million dollars which is literally what mad max had to produce to, to promote itself mm. um when you don't have that kind of budget for pnr you're a hundred percent dependent on on you know a podcast like this and then the people who've seen it saying i'm going to see it again and i'm bringing three people with me and we're just going to support it are wow. you getting a lot of families you know people you know people who have down syndrome whose families are inspired are you seeing a lot of that because it you know it's such a huge message about not just down syndrome anybody with any sort of disability but are you are you hearing a lot of that sort of in that community response yeah we are and it's been really amazing um one quick story about that is last week uh, I was invited to go to Fresno to watch a screening and they had like a red carpet event. And I, I really had no idea what I was, other than I was going to go and watch a movie with people who'd bought, bought a theater out. Um, but it was this group called Break the Barriers. And it is a gymnasium, um, like a sports facility for able-bodied but also disabled people. And they do this performance. They've done it for the Lakers. They've done it. They take it around the world. Um, it's a Christian organization, and so it's it's mission-minded. But uh, it was unbelievable, you guys, to see these kids, um, kids without legs, kids with, in wheelchairs, kids with who were blind or deaf, doing gymnastics things, flipped up in the air. There's this one kid in the wheelchair. I've never seen anything like it. He knocked himself over. He did a handstand in the wheelchair, and then he, and then he fell back over and, and righted himself in the chair. I'm like, unbelievable. And I was moved to tears because here's here's these kids who... Uh, who, when you meet people on the street with disabilities, at least I did before I did this film, my first thing was like, it was almost, it was a combination of like, of shame because I felt bad for them, fear because I didn't know how to interact with them and pity because I was like, oh man, that sucks. That, that, that life must be so hard. And then after having met David and getting to know David and getting to know his family and getting to know the people who are within this community living day to day with disabilities or, or family members, people with disabilities, you see how much joy and you see how much life is in these people and how there's this extra, um, just a presence, like they're in the present, they're in the now and they're living every day really to its fullest. And I'm sure it's complicated. It's hard. And I think that's what makes it because... You know, it's called being, like, it's marked by death. You know, let's call it what it is. It's understanding that that our life here on on Earth is temporal. It's temporary. It's fleeting. And if you don't take advantage of it fully, it's going to blow by you. And I feel like so many people who are, um, who are, let's just say able, like, like normal or whatever, who don't have any issues. And we're filling our time with, you know, our, our iPads and our computer games and our, you know, we're numbing ourselves to this, this experience called life. And I feel like when you are, when it's a struggle to go to the bathroom or when it's a struggle to get out of bed or when it's a struggle to make a day and sit through a class and all of a sudden everything becomes a lot more vital. And for me, the film was amazing to be a part of because it, it really gives uh, it, it shines a light on a person who has Down syndrome. It shows that he's capable of doing everything that I'm capable of doing, and that gives dignity to him, and it gives dignity to the people like him who see it. 
And so that's what's been amazing about this film. And uh, it's such an incredible, you know, experience. Now, uh, Chris, I just wanted to say, I, you've said a few things here in the last few minutes that just, I have just struck me and that I just so appreciate. And one of them is, well, the kindness of you calling this entertainment. We use quotes around that when we talk about the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so that was very kind of you. And we really appreciated that. And we'll be, we'll be um, clipping that and using that for advertising for the show that you, uh, you know, official Hollywood <laughs> actor called this entertainment. But the other, a couple other things that you said, um, and you can tell listening to you speak that you mean them. One is the um, how you just want to do everything for Christ, and what a huge thing that is. And I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of a book called Not a Fan. If you've heard of it or not, by a guy named Kyle Eilman, and it's you know differentiating between what fans are and what followers are, and this whole experience that you know if you're going to call yourself a Christian and a follower of Christ, he just he only asks for one thing, and that's everything. And if you can make everything you do about him. It can change lives, and I think yeah. that I think that you're seeing that. And I'm, you know, I'm curious: Are you getting feedback on that from from other Christians, either in Hollywood or around the country, who have seen your movie, who are who are sensing that in what you do? And my other question, and it's related, is the whole um, working with students with disabilities. And 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 Billy knows that's a big thing in my world is is working with kids with disabilities. And um, have you had members of that? Um, that community really come out of the word work and really um, pile on their praise for this movie? Are, are they working with you? I mean, I know you talked about the theater that sold out and they celebrated this. Is this something that has become yeah. a, a cause among them? This movie, has it become a cause among that community as well? I, I believe so. As far as the, the first, the first, uh, the first question, you know, the movie's only been out a week and, um, it's funny that there was an actress, Christy Swanson, who is the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. you know, um, again, Kathy Lee Gifford, like people, people who are seeing it are responding in a really positive way. And they're, I think, encouraged by it and reacting to it, but there hasn't been an overwhelming, like, uh, you know, um, uh, I haven't gotten the phone call from Mark Burnett yet. Billy, work, <laughs> Billy, would you work on that? Please? You'll know because you'll be completely enchanted by his I'll be accent. like, who is this lilting <laughs> voice on the other end of the phone here? Um, and, then, and then as far as the Down Center community goes, um, and I, but I, I want to finish up. I, I want to say, I want to add something to what I was about to say. The film, Where Hope Grows, you know, while it is a faith film, I think the thing that is so appealing about it is that it's not preaching to the choir. Mm. It's not something that you have to be a Christian to go and enjoy the movie. You know, you can just be a non-believer, you could be Jewish, you could be Muslim, and it still points to the fact that, that we're broken and we need fixing. Yeah. And that's what everything is striving for. Every religion, every New Age movement, every you know, attempt at, at bettering yourself is to fix this brokenness. Now, Christians, you know, we get to we get to walk in truth. And in fact, I think that's why it's so offensive because you can talk about Buddha and you can talk about, you know, all these other people, but the minute you mention Jesus, it hackles raise. And I, I always, I'm always curious by that. And I think that's because, you know, it, 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 it is, there's truth in it and, yeah. it and the truth, you know, it either offends or it enlightens. Um, so as far as that's concerned, uh, the movie, you know, the movie is speaking to people on a lot of different levels. And like my character is an alcoholic. And so there's been this really cool sort of people who have addiction, who, who 
you know, are seeing it and are being touched by it because it's like, yeah, that's my story. Or that's my kid's story. Or, you know, that's my dad's story. And, um, and that's amazing. And then the Down syndrome community or the disabled community has been galvanizing. And I mean, I posted something on Down syndrome awareness day on my Facebook page. Um, it's like Christopher Palaha at Facebook or whatever. And there's a fan page. Um, and I post things and I get like 4,000 looks. I got 20,000 followers. You know, it's one of those things where it's kind of, it's just doing its little thing. And I posted this picture with Chris Dowling, the writer director, David DeSanctis and I at a son's basketball game. And I said, it's down syndrome awareness day. You know, all you have to do is share this and, and bring awareness to Down syndrome and where hope grows. Or, I don't, I, oh, oh, and because they, because Chris Dowling directed this little video called Shattering Stereotypes, which is awesome. You should get. I mean, I, I urge your listeners to look it up on YouTube, um, and it shows you know these people uh, with Down syndrome saying, "I'm not," you know, all these stereotypes like stupid or or inept, or and they're breaking them and saying, no, I'm more than that. I'm an actor. I'm a, I'm going to be a quarterback. I'm going to be, and it's again pr- promoting dignity. Um, and that page, that little post got uh, shared over like 25,000 times, seen by 1.5 million people, which was, yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, and then people started downloading pictures onto the post, like it became this wall for people to, you know, show pictures of their children of Down syndrome, and it just became this community center. Mm, and, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was amazing, and Best Buddies got behind it, the Special Olympics retweeted it, and I mean, it was just, it floored me it was like two weeks of this thing just going viral i mean it was amazing and that was that community so chris you know in talking about your faith and it's rare that i feel like we we interact when when we do interact with actors some of them are are christians or some of them some of them are sort of in that realm at least um because of the nature of of what we're doing here on the podcast but you know for you what what how did you come to faith like what's sort of your backstory on that i'm always in, intrigued to ask people that i know it's a loaded question but i'm interested yeah no it's not um my you know i grew up in a household that was christian my dad was uh catholic and my uncle was a priest he's passed on now but he was a priest and they're great like a really one of the, like good one of the good ones and so i always grew up with a real sense of God. And it was interesting is when I was a little kid, we're talking like three and four. Um, I just used to, my, okay. People go even further back. I had, when I was a kid, I remember my dreams and they sort of developed at least in my memory, kind of like movies did. So the first one was black and white and it didn't have sound. And all of a sudden I remember there was a dream with sound. And the first dream I had in color was this dream of, I had this little Bible as a kid and it was, it had a bunch of little kids, you know, at the foot of Jesus sort of circled around at the foot. And my first color dream was this dream of Jesus. And I was sitting at his feet and the grass was green and the sky was blue. And, and I had this really vivid, like color dream about Christ. And I remember waking up and I mean, I still have a picture of it in my mind. I used to pray aloud. Uh, and I, I would have conversations with the Holy spirit specifically and then I remember just having a really deep, you know, personal relationship always. Um, and, and then I remember in high school, I was a junior and things were going really, really good. <laughs> you know, girls thought I was cute and, and I was acting and I was like the lead in all these plays and everything was going great. And I remember praying specifically one day in the fall and I said, Lord, I want to know if this is you acting in my life or if this is me. And I'm just not going to pray for six months. And I took this like 
sabbatical from praying, which ended up being this six-year journey of like me just sort of, I call it being my wilderness journey, just kind of lost in the wilderness. And I remember at that point, I was at NYU in New York City. And I mean, I just remember God reaching down and saying, I want you back. And I just all of a sudden, because I, I did this thing called Semester at Sea, and it was literally a, a journey around the world on a boat. I went to Japan and China and Vietnam and India and the Middle East, and I was studying, just invested myself in studying about Buddhism and Shintoism and Muslim and Judaism and Hinduism and, you know, all of the isms. And uh, I went into it with, and, and was, you know, at the time even practicing yoga and was going through this real spiritual, you know, and it was Jesus that just kind of, I mean, he gripped me. He called me up and said, dude, I want you. And um, I remember I was praying, you know, I was sort of having my fun and doing my thing. And I said, Lord, I really want to meet a woman that's, you know, got you at the center of her heart. Within like two weeks, I met this girl who I ended up marrying. And she's an amazing Christian. And she comes from a great family. So I have this support system and this backbone and, um, and ever since, you know, it's been God sort of working in me and, and, and daily, you know, sort of making me better. Um, you know, and, and by that, I mean, just more holy, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know, but, and, and for me as an actor, I mean, shoot, it's like, you gotta take all of it. You gotta take all of it. And I'm broken and I'm fallen and I'm, I'm full of sin. And so it's like, I'm, I'm human and I'm going to fail and I'm going to, make mistakes and so I can't be held, you know, to a standard, but at the same time I am accountable for my actions and my accountability comes with my relationship with Christ. And so, you know, I think that's the whole that's the whole of it. It's uh it was something I I was sort of born into, I guess, and and you know, the tradition of it was there and then I left it for a while and then really had a heartache for it and kinda came back on my hands and knees. So was there was there a uh was there a key moment for you, like a like you remember distinctly at you know ten o'clock one night? God said, "This is what we're going to do with you, Chris." Or you know, was there a, a brokenness time? I mean, I, as someone who you know has experienced a lot of the same things you have, not the success side, but like you know spiritual <laughs> journey side. I, you know, I'm, well, I'm don't, not, don't, I'm not don't, don't oversell it, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Hans, I'm not handsome, talented, or successful. However, I'm just like you in any other way. <laughs> but no, the, the journey, I, I remember, like, I remember there being a time as a kid and, and then a moment where God just convicted me late at night. And, you know, I went down and spoke and as a teenager, and I spoke with my parents and I said, I just need God to be totally in control of my life. I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. Did, did wow. you have a moment like that for you or was this just kind of more of a process? No, I mean, it was, it was more of a process in the sense that, that, that I had, that I had slipped you know, so far from, from who I wanted to be and who I knew God made me to be. And it was a, it was almost like a brokenness that, that when I hit, I, I mean, the moment that I me mean, to be really honest with you, the moment was this bizarre <clears throat> experience. I was walking up ninth uh, Avenue. It was 11 o'clock, October 21st uh, with a girlfriend of mine, this girl, Catherine, and she was on my left and I was on her right. I was between her and the traffic and um, I switched places with her. I just like moved to the other side of her. And I said to her, I said, I don't know why, but I feel better on this side of you. 
and a block later, we heard this ticking sound. And I looked down, and the grates to the sidewalk blew open. We were engulfed in a fireball. The fireball went back into the thing and hissed out and blew out the storefront window, and we were showered with glass. And I eclipsed her. I was wearing a sheepshear jacket, corduroy pants, um, and I got a huge nick on my face. If you see the movie, you'll see a giant scar. This is where the scar comes from. Um, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> sorry, hold on. Sorry, my throat's all... That's all right. Tightening up, but um, and my hand got my hand and my arm got chopped up. But the thing is, is I completely eclipsed the glass from hurting her, and she was in jeans, a t-shirt, and a windbreaker. Like I was overdressed for the night, and she was underdressed for the night. Ended up in the emergency room, which is also a crazy story. Like I ran down a cab, and with my every every cut cut a vein or a an artery, and so something. I mean, I was a fountain of blood, oh. and. Um, hit this, you know, ran next to this cab. So anyway, the, I'll go back because it's the whole thing is a, a, a miracle, literally. Um, we hit the, the fireball engulfs us. The glass hits us. The next thing I know, I'm standing in the first lane of traffic, looking downtown. I turn. I see somebody, you know, yelling down to the hole. I see Catherine. I say, "Is that your blood? Or is that my blood?" She's standing, but she's above the blast, facing uptown. The lights were all red, so there's no cars in this one block, but then the lights change and it's full traffic, full on New York traffic. But at this particular moment, the block was empty. Um, and we're standing on our feet, so it's just like something picked us up and you know set us down. Um, a, a cab drives by, I bang on the window. He's like, I've got a fare, I've got a fare. He keeps going. The guy inside the car says, you turn around, he flips a Yui, <laughs> gets out, says he's taking you to the hospital because I had no idea where the nearest hospital was. He's like, he's taken, it's all taken care of. We get to the hospital, 180 stitches for me. Wow. Um, and the fire marshal comes and he says, you know, it's a miracle that you're alive right now. You should be, you should have been decapitated. The glass was the size of Frisbee's and it was all the way across six avenues. I mean, the force that it blew it all the way across the street. Mm. Um, he's like, it's a miracle that you guys are standing here. So for me, it was this moment of like, I, I should have died. I really technically should have died. I should have died. Like I should have been on the other side of her. And it was just weird. And when you recount something like that and go back to all that, we had two pints of Guinness at this bar and we stayed for the second one, you know, and what if we'd left after the first one? We found tubes of cardboard and we sword, we, we were sword fighting in the street. And what if we didn't do that? Or what if we were anywhere else than other than where we were? Why that moment? Why that second? And then why did I, so it just, and it, 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 it's like, and you know those moments when you're about to go to sleep and you fall, right before you fall asleep, your mind, have you guys ever had this where it just kind of explodes and you understand something for a second? Yep. Yeah. And then yeah, it just kind of disappears. And you're yeah. like, whoa. And you, yeah, it's like those epiphany moments. And I lived in that for like two weeks and my heart was just, I mean, it was broken for humanity. It was broken for myself. I'd see people and I got them immediately. I saw like just, you know, all this kind of, I would just see somebody and I'd see their hurt or I'd, I'd have extreme empathy for people or oh, sorry guys. My wife is walking out. What's that? Yeah, I'll be here. We'll love you. Love you sorry guys. Tell her we love her, no tell her we love her no, too. It's real, real life at the Palaha house. <laughs> um, she's about to go get our kid from school. But, um, I just had this two week, I called it, we live in the a track every day. We're on this a track and, and our life is goals and it's, it's social exchanges and it's all these things that we do to just get through the day, to get on with it and to make our, make our meat and our, you know, earn our bones and earn a living and our status and all that stuff. And I was moved to this track B, which was 
I considered it a higher track and I was looking around and going, wow, there's more to life than there's more to life than this race that I'm, I'm in. And, uh, and that's the thing, man, that's really hard for me to, to day to day, especially in Hollywood where, you know, I've, I've known people who have exploded, just exploded and become movie stars or have had 10 years of a TV show and just exploded and they're filthy rich and I look at them and I'm like, why, how did that happen? Like, why, why did that happen to them? And why not me? And here I go, you know, I'll go through these waves where I've worked and I've been really blessed, but then, you know, I won't work and, and things will dry up. And it's like, well, you know, and I'm sitting here going, God, what's the plan? Like, what is your plan? And it's not about the end result. And, and that's the thing. And, and without faith, I mean, I just don't know how people do it in this town without something. Yeah. How do you how do you survive? I mean, and one of my questions, I mean, how do you survive in Hollywood the way that you have doing as much as you have? <clears throat> how do you keep your faith intact? Because you have I mean, it's very clear that you have a strong faith. How do you do that? With, because let's face it, the environment is not, I would imagine, always the most friendly to being able to do that. So how do you? No, it's not. I mean, it's gone from it's gone from anywhere from from just, you know, people. Uh, it's gone. Here's the, here's the range of it. People appreciating it. Um, people being completely drawn to it, to people ignoring it entirely and just sort of like, whatever. Cause I'm not, I'm also not an in your face. Like, I, I mean, this is a, this is an extremely rare, extremely personal conversation I'm having with you guys, uh, for better, or for worse, but you know, it's organic and it's honest. And so it is what it is. I, I don't go to set and I'm not, you know, I'm not, trying to convert people that I work with, you know, <laughs> right, but right. I'm also not, but I'm also somebody who like, I'll be the guy that at the end of a conversation, like if someone, if someone, in, you know, and, and this happens a lot where people will talk to me and they'll be like, yeah, I'm just going through this and I'm going through this and I'm going through this and I'm going through this. I'll say, do you really honestly want to know what I think? And they'll be like, yeah. what? And I'll say, you know, I, have you know? Do you know Jesus? <laughs> it's like one of those things where, and I've done it a couple times, and it's always like, yeah, Chris. But if I'm that seed that, like, ten years from down the road, you know, you know, one of my co-stars goes, yeah, I remember Chris. I remember that question, and you know, I'm 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 curious at this point, and but I'm never going to shove it down your throat. And Rain Wilson is somebody that I just worked with on Backstrom, and he was he's Baha'i. And, you know, Mary the Twain shall meet as far as, as far as, you know, who I believe in and who he believes in. But, but we're both people of faith and deeply spiritual people. And we have these amazing conversations. And so I've had experiences where there's been an intense openness about it. Um, and I've also had weird experiences where I've felt attacked and I couldn't understand it. And the only thing I could attribute to it was that like, well, they must just not like what I stand for. And it was unexplicable attacks. It was like the thing where all of a sudden it's just super bizarre behavior. And, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, I, then uh, they don't like me. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, that's the that's that's the nature of it. I would I would imagine. I mean, yeah. And the other thing I was going to ask you about that. I mean, is it ever hard picking roles? I mean, do you ever have moments where you're like, oh, I'd love to do that role, but I don't feel comfortable or or do you separate that out a little more when it comes? No, to uh, there are roles that I won't take because. You know, there's certain things I just don't want my kids seeing me doing. And I also feel like there's certain things that, like, a really easy example are a lot of horror films. You know, there's just a lot of dark, like, you know, spiritual matter being dealt with. And it's almost like if you want to look at it from, from a, you know, almost like a superstitious point of view, it's almost like you're opening up these portals of darkness. <laughs> like you <laughs> turn that movie on and you're allowing all this stuff to, 
infiltrate your psyche, you know, and it's, and it's, it is dark, demonic stuff. And that, like, that scares me on a, on a personal level. And I don't, as an actor, want to have anything to do with that kind of stuff. Um, then there are other stories that, like, I think that if they're, if they're a fulfilling story about humanity and about loving each other and accepting each other, then, yeah, there's certain things I would do to, to help, you know, perpetuate that message. But, um, yeah, no, there's just, you know, there's, uh, there's just things I'm going to steer clear of. And that's just, you know, my choice. Yeah, no, I mean, I, w- I would imagine that that is probably smart too. I mean, in keeping with your image and who you are, and yeah, I just, I, it's got to be so, it's got to be so difficult at moments. But I mean, obviously, you end up with a project like Where Hope Grows, and it, and it probably all seems pretty worth it when you get to do those kinds of projects too. So, well, I, I think Billy and Chris, I think the end result is this: it's like either God is real or He's not real, and He either has a plan for our lives or He doesn't. And I've taken a stance that he is real and he's got a plan for my life. And so there's going to be, there's my life's done. I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress right now. So I'm interested to see, you know, we should have another conversation in 30 years and, and look back and say, okay, this makes sense. And this is why all this happened. And, you know, one, two, three, um, because for me, it's kind of like, yeah, you, you throw it out there and you see what happens. And, and I feel like there is a purpose. And so, um, and it is interesting how one thing has led to the other. And, and I'll tell you a fun story about, about being a Christian in Hollywood. Um, I would <clears throat> go and, you know, a pi- every year you, you make a pilot. And every year, um, a pilot season comes and goes, and it's like, I think it may only, you know, 10 to get picked up. The numbers are crazy. I, I, that's probably a bad example of how many. It's probably a lot more and a lot less. But, um, each network does like, you know, 40, and they only pick up like nine or, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So the, the odds are not in your favor. And um, I remember there was one show I did called Misguided, and it starred Judy Greer, who's amazing, and Chris Parnell, who's amazing, and it was produced by Ashton Kutcher. And there's a director named Todd Holland involved, uh, who's incredible. And um, we did this pilot that was really funny and really, really good. And we were on ABC's list, and then we were off their list, and we were on the schedule, and we were off the schedule, and we were on the schedule, and we were off the schedule. And I would jog from my house to ABC and lay hands on the building, <laughs> this gate, my rod iron gate with little Mickey Mouse heads on the top of it. And I would just go in and pray. And I'd be like, Lord, you know, you, you care about me, and I need to provide for my family. And this is the way that I do that. You told me to get, you know, this is the work of my hands and I need a job and I need this thing to get picked up. And I mean, I would pray without ceasing. I remember we were driving and we were, my wife and I were, we were hurting, dude, for money. It was tight. Everything was tight. And then I did North Shore, which was a show for Fox in 2004. And then it was an entirely dry year in 2005. We did this pilot in the August of 2006. So there was a long time of mine just being unemployed. And, um, and what's funny is that I was like super arrogant during North Shore. I was really cocky. I, I would come late to work and, you know, I, I was always insulting the script. Like, I don't need to learn these lines because these lines suck. And I was just a jerk. I mean, I wasn't cool. And I felt like God was saying, all right, if I'm going to give you something, like you need to be shaped up a little bit. I need to prepare you for something more because right now your attitude's terrible. <laughs> so for me, it was almost <laughs> like a fire, you know, like God sort of make shaping it and working on me. But I just would pray and pray and pray. And I remember on Sunday, my wife and I were just driving shell-shocked. And she's like, I don't feel good. And I was like, I, was like, I don't either. I have a headache. She's like, why don't we pray? And I started praying about her headaches or her not feeling whatever. And she's like, no, not about that. Pray about the show. I started praying about the show. And as we were praying, Todd Holland, 
the director, calls me up and he says, Chris, I'm calling you first because, and I wasn't the lead of the show, Judy Greer was, and he's like, I'm calling you first because I know how much this means to you and it is such a miracle. And he used that word. He's like, I can't explain it any other way, but the show got picked up and we're going we're gonna to go into series and we're going to film, you know, we get 13 uh, 13 episodes and it was it literally was it was like one of these weird things now i'm not saying that i prayed it into existence (laughs) but i am saying that i prayed (laughs) really really hard for it and uh i do feel like it was a prayer to answer a prayer a prayer a prayer answered um so that's kind of a fun story you know i love it that's great i do too and you know it's it's funny we we're really good at taking jesus at his word on a lot of things but as far as like his plan for us if if Christ can say, say to his disciples who are saying, why was this man born blind? Who sinned? And what caused this? And Christ is like, the guy's blind so that I can show off in his life. You know, if, right. if he's wanting to do right. that with a blind man, like then what else, is, what else has he got for us? It's, it's, it's so refreshing to hear somebody just even, even if you were just an average schlub on the street to hear them saying those kinds of things about, here's what God's doing in my life. I believe he's got a plan. And, that's such a refreshing attitude to hear just from, from anybody, frankly. And so, uh, uh-huh. yeah, th- thank you so much for your words and your, your kindness and, you know, what you're standing for out there. And we're going to hold you to that promise talking 30 years from now. You heard that, right, Billy? Okay. <laughs> Chris, feel he, you'll be like 128 then. He's, so, he, you has, know. he has vowed. <laughs> we got to make sure we, we got to make sure we're still around. He's, but, he uh, has, <laughs> he has vowed to be, he has vowed to be here in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, you know, Chris, we definitely want to talk with you again, and let's let's keep in touch. Really appreciate you taking the time today to to talk with us. Any any time. I mean, especially you know, I, it's it's a it's a great outlet for me, and and uh, I'll I'll take a listen. I'm excited to keep up with you guys as well. Great. Well, Sounds good. Don't be offended by the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the show is a mix of how would you describe it? A mix of of idiocy, debate, idiocy, and, and insanity. So. Chris and I don't get along. Don't get along on a lot of things, which is interesting. We do on a lot of things, and then we don't on some things. But yeah. anyway, well, yeah. Well, that holds true. If I take some projects in the future, you guys are like, "What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> don't be offended. All right. Daddy's got to pay the bills. That's right. All right, guys. I understand. All right, have a good, good one. Good talking right. to you. Thank All you. Right, bye bye. The church boys. Man, I hate these guys. All right, we only have a couple minutes left, and we want to get into what <laughs> I love. My one of my all-time favorite podcasts is the Michael Mara Show, and they're always whenever they talk about the Duggars, it's the Duggars, the Duggars. So the Duggars, the nineteen kids and counting show, where they're just apparently children are just falling out of this woman. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't know. Any of never watched the show. You know me and my love of uh, reality television, right? That I'd, oh, rather, yeah. I'd rather be jabbed in the eye with a dull fork than uh, watch reality <laughs> television. So, tell us quickly what has happened with the Duggars, Billy, as of this recording on Friday evening. Um, so, Josh Duggar, the the eldest son, uh, was has apparently apologized for allegedly. I'm still going to go with allegedly, even though he's apologized, just because it makes me uncomfortable. Um, has apologized for. Uh, these molestation charges from when he was a teenager from about 12 years ago. He's 27 now, so he was you know pretty young when this happened. Um, 
it allegedly involves his sisters and maybe one other one other girl uh, basically touching and appropriately touching. So TLC has pulled all episodes of the show off the air and it's unclear what the future of the show holds. But if the you know, past is any indicator when Honey Boo Boo had a similar issue and there wasn't even molestation. It was the mother the mother was hanging out with somebody oh. who was who was apparently had gone so to prison for molestation. But that's molestation. a show that needed to be canceled on principle. <laughs> that show was canceled loathsome. too. So, so there you go. But yeah, so I mean the, the family is obviously in crisis. All fourteen hundred members are very upset and <laughs> the show has been pulled. And you know what? And you gotta feel for the family because I do believe that they are a I do believe that they love the Lord and they're going through a lot of stuff right now and they are the butt of a lot of jokes. Some earned, many not earned. Okay. But you gotta Agreed. you get you gotta pray for the family. And listen, when Josh says, Listen, this is what happened twelve years ago, would you like people to bring up you listeners, you boys and girls out there, would you like it if people brought up everything that you did twelve years ago? Now, granted, it's probably not have to do anything with, you know, touching children inappropriately, okay? But Bringing up things from the past, I have been forgiven of this by both the people I offended, the people I hurt, and God has forgiven me of this. And we're going to move on. Now, how you think you're going to be able to get away with this is part of your history. Oh, and you're going to have a reality television that's really famous. You know, I mean, how you think that that's never going to come up is is beyond me. But at the same time, it's like forgiveness happens, and we need to let things... It's tough. Listen, yeah. it's a, it's it a tough, tough thing. We don't know all the details. We know what police because, reports yeah. say. We know what interviews say. We know that he was 14 or 15 at the right. time, maybe even younger, because when this was reported, it had apparently happened before that. So he may have been 13, 14, 15. Um, I don't know the exact age, but that was the range. Um, not excusing it. It's awful. It's but, horrible. And, 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 but I do think, you know, it's almost like when you read the headlines that happened yesterday, and yeah. that doesn't dismiss what happened, but, but I, I just think it's complicated. And I think it is, and... I have to catch myself because at the same time, at the same time, I want to say water under the bridge. He's been forgiven. No charges were filed. We, we move on. And I do agree with that principle. There's the same part of me that says there are a lot of, there are a lot of people on television who I think shouldn't be on TV because of some of the crappy things they have done. It's like, why are you continuing to give a voice to this person? But yeah, a lot um, of times those are people who are not sorry for their, for what they've done and those sorts of things. But a lot of them are. And so, it is, a, it is a sad thing, and it's sad for the Duggars, and you want there to be total healing there. At the same time, it's reality TV, and you know what? Don't let the door hit you on the butt when you leave. I mean, you're only, awful. But only because it's reality TV. If it were some sort of church thing we're trying to, you know, whatever, but I am an awful person, and I'm horrible and hateful and probably won't be around for the next episode because I'll have been struck with lightning and killed, uh, and deservedly so. Billy, any words of wisdom for the people? Read your Bibles. And the blaze, we will, well, yeah, we might talk to you later. <laughs> Bye-bye.